Welcome to Doctor Who's 50 and 50, episode 29. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler, and today we're continuing our look at villains with the Silurians and the Sea Devils. You could argue that they are two separate entities, but they are strongly connected and closely tied. The Silurians first appeared in Story 52, Doctor Who and the Silurians, which was with John Pertwee's Doctor and the companion Liz Shaw. It was actually John Pertwee's second story, following Spearhead from Space. The second time they appeared was still with John Pertwee, but this time it was with companion Joe Grant in Story 62, The Sea Devils. Now in this case, we don't see the Silurians in isolation. What we see are a slightly different version that hard dubbed the Sea Devils. And then both species appear together for the third and final time of the classic series in Story 131, Warriors of the Deep, with Peter Davison's Doctor and companions Tegan Jovanka and Vizsler Turlow. They're an ancient reptilian race that went into underground hibernation when their scientists predicted that the Earth was going to suffer a major catastrophe, which we later learn is actually the capture of the moon. For those of you who don't know, there are a few competing theories for how the moon formed and how it got here, since close study of the moon does show it seems to be different makeup than the Earth and was probably created elsewhere. But the age is consistent with the solar system. So the prevailing theory is that the moon formed within the same solar system as the Earth and the rest of the planets, and because of an accident of trajectories and whatnot, the Earth captured it sometime after the Earth originally formed. Now, a lot of people understand that the moon creates tides in the oceans. What a lot of people don't realize is that those tidal effects also impact the atmosphere. So without the moon, the Earth would not be able to support human life. Those same tidal effects that massage the atmosphere strip away a lot of the outer layers and keep the atmosphere thin enough for human life to survive. It's not saying there wouldn't be life on Earth, without the moon, but it wouldn't be us. Anyway, back to the Silurians and the Sea Devils. So they had gone into underground hibernation when the scientists predicted the catastrophe. The Silurians were underground land dwellers, while the Sea Devils were amphibious. And in all three stories, some of their hibernating entities, or hibernating groups of civilizations, were awoken by accident. They're typically done by human accidents. The second time they were possibly awoken by the master. We don't really see how this group wakes up. We know they're awake and we know that the master is trying to bring them to the surface and bring them forward to wipe out humanity. The Silurians and the Sea Devils are both okay with this because as far as they're concerned, the earth is theirs. They wake up and there's some upstart apes all over the place. Well, they're just going to wipe those things out. And the doctor's role in all three stories is consistently to try and negotiate peace and get the two species to live together and share the earth. Now, the look has changed significantly in the 2005 relaunch. Originally, the Silurians looked a little bit more like fish people than reptile people. They had a third eye in the top of their heads, sort of the, the high part of the forehead, which sometimes glowed, possibly as a cue. At least in Warriors of the Deep, it seemed to be a cue about which Silurian was talking. And a lot of that is by limited budget. There's very few of them that have working mouths. The Sea Devils just have the two eyes, which don't move anywhere, because they're fairly cheap masks. It appears that their mouths, or possibly their necks, are where you will find the eye holes for the humans inside the costumes. And again, the jaws don't always move when they speak. So it's a nice idea, 
but the money for the costumes and the budget isn't there. It doesn't have Star Trek budgets. And one thing we got to give Doctor Who, it wasn't satisfied making aliens and other species, for the most part, just by taking humans and sticking extra lumps or hair on them. They really did try to make their aliens look and feel alien. Story number 131, Warriors of the Deep, is definitely worth noting, partly because it's one of my favorite stories of the Peter Davison era, and partly because it's one of the stories that convinced Peter Davison to leave the role. It's the kind of story that would look fantastic in an outline form on the page. The basic rundown is that the characters and the audience know that there is a means to destroy this threat completely right from the start. So before the characters even know what the threat is, the audience has seen the tool that could be used to destroy them. We know that right from part one of four. And yet the entire time the Doctor is desperately trying to find another way to save as many lives as possible regardless of species. But the Silurians and the Sea Devils are not willing to do that. So eventually he does find that he has to destroy the aggressors to save the humans. And while the humans consider this a victory, the Doctor himself clearly views it as a failure even ends with him saying there should have been another way. So in recounting the Doctor's victories and losses, his companions would not count this the same way he does. does a really nice job of showing that while the Doctor likes humans, he won't just automatically take out anything that threatens humans. The only threat that he really just tries to kill indiscriminately is probably the Daleks. Cybermen are close. It really shows his character very nicely. Unfortunately, the production was rushed on that one, which not only muddles the message and the goals of the story, but Peter Davison cites being told not to touch one of the monsters because the paint was still wet as the moment he decided that the next season would be his last. So in this episode, they've got a Mirka, which is like a creature of mass destruction, and it's a little awkward when they're fighting it, and it's not until I watched the bonus features on the DVD and checked some online trivia that I found out why. They were all told they could not make contact with it because the paint would come off, it would smear on the white walls, it would smear on their hands. The paint was wet on this creature, and that limited the way they could tell the story, because they just didn't have time to do it any other way. Davison felt it was unprofessional to have to work under those schedules and conditions without appropriate support. And I can definitely see his point. This story should have been so much more than what we actually got, especially with the way the doctors torn up about the way it ended. Those are the three episodes of the Celerines and the Sea Devils. There's that theme of peaceful cohabitation being possible, but doesn't get there because neither side really wants it. So they're decent enemies, limited a little bit by the technology and the effects budgets, but there's a very good concept there that can be used to tell some pretty deep stories. That's about all we have to say about the Silurians and the Sea Devils, so please join us again tomorrow when we discuss the Sontarans. Thank you for listening.